0: Have <laughs> you ever feel like that? I mean how do you pray? I mean I just step in. I love the humor of that. Maybe some of you're in that position this morning. You walked in here for the very first time and you're like, ah, what is prayer? Um, some of you have been here and you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time and you got it down and you know what it is. But I think all of us generally can use some help in this area uh, and really uh, step towards prayer. So what we've been doing for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, just kind of talking about this issue of prayer, asking what is it, how do you do it, how do you do it better, and kind of stepping towards that. I'm excited for this morning Really excited for this morning. This morning's message kind of grows out of something that God did in me over a year ago, uh, and it's kind of been working inside of me, something that He's challenged me with, something I've really had to step in and actually repent of. It is, I'll get to that in a little bit. So I'm really excited to show this with you this morning. We're on page 29 of the known journal. If you have one of these, if you don't have one, I encourage you to grab one. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about meditation. Journaling is a great way to help you do that, really slow you down, push you into engaging. Uh, and thinking and processing. And again, but what that journal is, it just gives you a reading plan of scriptures that run along with this message this morning that allow you to take this all week long and kind of drive it into your heart. Now, prayer. If you're a seeker of God at any level, and when I mean seeker of God, I mean, maybe you're here this morning and your big toe, I mean, all you're doing is you're dipping your big toe in. I mean, you're not even sure God exists. You're not even sure um, if he's for you. You're not sure what Christianity is. You're not even sure who Jesus is. And you hear this person mention of the Holy Spirit. Well, who is that? All you know is there's something inside you drawing and you're seeking it. So you are just kind of dipping your big toe in, and you're, you're skeptically journeying. Or whether you're here this morning and you've been, man, forget dipping your big toe and you full-blown jumped off the high dive and you're swimming around the deep end and having a grand old time out there in the pool. Whether you, No matter who you are in your process of seeking and getting to know God, I find uh, two questions consistently come up with prayer. And these are doozies, and these are hard questions, and they give pastor folk like me a headache trying to answer. I'm going to be very honest. But I want to name them, and we're going to go after both of them this morning. We're going to try our best to go after them. First one, does prayer even matter? Does it even change anything? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you hear Pastor Chris talk up and stand up last week and talk about this great, powerful God. You hear Pastor Chris talk about seeking his will. You, you know and understand if you've been around the scriptures at any level that God is in complete control, that God knew you before you were even born. Matter of fact, the scriptures teach God knew you at the foundation and the creation of the world. Nothing surprises God. Everything is in his control, and he is in complete control of life. And you say, so why again am I praying? What difference does this make? Isn't God just going to do what God's going to do? And isn't God in control? Like anything I say, is it really going to change the heart or mind of God? So that's question one. Question two comes around. How how do I process and how do I interact with unanswered prayer? Especially when those unanswered prayers, there are scriptures that clearly tell me, as Pastor Chris talked about last week, you want to pray and seek God's will. Well, when I'm praying for his will and it's still not happening, what do we do with that? For example, maybe James chapter 1, verse 5 says, when you're facing hardship, and some of you this morning, you're facing hardship. You've got a decision out ahead of you. You've got some family dynamics happening, and you are or maybe something in your workplace, and there is so much pressure and so much heartache, and you're just simply seeking wisdom. Well, James 1, 5 says, if you come to me and ask for wisdom, I will give it abundantly. Man, Adam, I've been praying for wisdom for the last two months, and it's just fuzzier now than it's ever been. What do you do with that? Maybe you were struggling with addiction. And you know 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, listen, God will give you a way out. You know James chapter 1 or chapter 2 that says God doesn't tempt anyone. And he says, so you've been there praying, and you've been praying for God to relieve and alleviate your addiction. God, take this desire from me, and you cry out to him. It's to the point where you ache and you hurt and you plead with him. You see the damage that it's doing in your life, and all that. but here you are struggling once again this morning. What do you do with that? Matthew chapter six talks about seek first the kingdom of God. Do not worry, it says in Matthew. Do not worry about today. Don't worry about how you're going to pay your bills, what kind of clothes you're going to put on, where the money is coming. Don't worry about that. For seek God, and then it says, many of you know this. Many know the promise, and all these things will be added unto you. You're going, Adam. I've been seeking God, and I've been praying. I've been pouring my heart out, and I'm still unemployed. I still can't pay the bills. I still don't know where my meal's coming from tomorrow. What do you do with those unanswered prayers? What do you do with 2 Peter 3:9 when it says God is not slow in keeping his promises because he wants all people to come to repentance? And you've been praying for your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad to come to Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years. Maybe some have even sat in a funeral knowing that that person in the casket is the best of your knowledge never put their faith in Jesus Christ. You're like, "Where are you, God? How could you allow this to happen?" So does prayer matter? Does it change anything? And what do I do with unanswered prayers specifically in the case, especially in the case when I'm praying something that I know is the will of God? Why does it not change anything? Tough questions, right? Do you have an answer? We're going to step into that. To do that, look with me at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, page 863, and the Bibles there in the seats in front of you. It's in this section that we got the title for this message. If you saw there in verse 1, when um, Jesus was hanging out, and one of his disciples comes to him and says, Hey, Lord, you know, John, referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, this guy that was preparing people for Jesus, he taught his followers, his disciples, how to pray. He said, hey, here's how you pray. And his J- Jesus' disciples realized, well, Jesus, you've never taught us. Will you teach us to pray? So Jesus then gives us what many of us have you've maybe heard referred to as the Lord's Prayer. We've only looked at it in Luke chapter 11. It's also in Matthew chapter 6. We've been bouncing back and forth. Matthew chapter 6 captures it. Again, they have a little different wording, but generally it's the same thing. But just as way of review. So we started out with the second week, our Father in heaven. We talk, listen, if you're going to pray, understand it starts with a relationship. And out of a relationship flows what? conversation. Without a conversation, you don't have a relationship. The two go hand in hand. So it starts out understanding that I need to have my faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. I've repented of my sins. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. I am now his child. I can call him dad. He calls me son. He calls me daughter. So when we go to prayer, we're going to prayer first and foremost with our Father in heaven. Now, last week, Pastor Chris then talked about this this next section. May your name be kept holy. I loved how Chris said, add value to God's name. I mean, we want to consistently live in a way that makes people say, aha, that's who God is. May your kingdom come soon. So we want to be about the things that God is about. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the things that we do, we want to make sure they're the things that God wants us to do, that God wants to get done. And as it is in heaven is this reality of not only are we going to do it begrudgingly, we're going to do it with great joy in our hearts. In the same way that it's done in heaven. Now, this morning, we're going to unpack this one. Give us today the food that we need. Give us today the food that we need. Now, we're going to take a bit of a scenic route to answer those two questions, but the scenic route's going to take us through this prayer request. Give us today the food we need. I think as we wrestle with this prayer request, we're going to find an answer to those two questions Does prayer matter? And what do I do with unanswered prayers? As you look at this request, give us today the food that we need. I noticed something very clearly about this. It comes out even clearer in Luke chapter 11. Give us today the food that we need. What we're really talking about is when we go to prayer, God says, Jesus says, talk to your Father in heaven about the things that you need to live. What do you need to experience life today? What do you need? See, I need food. I need water. I need a place to live. I need clothes. I need a job. What is it that you need? What are your daily needs? What are the things that you have to have? If you don't have, you're not going to experience life. Jesus says, Come to me and talk to me about them. Now, I want you to notice something. Give us today the food. There's there's a piece of this that's actually very specific. Look with me at Luke chapter 11, pick up in verse 5. This is an invitation to pray specifically. And not only pray specifically, but to pray persistently. Look at Luke 5. It captures this detail. Then teaching them more about prayer. So he did the Lord's Prayer in verses uh, 2 through 4. He used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. Now, this is, you got to pay attention to Scripture. Scripture doesn't give details for how many loaves of bread. Why is this important? Why doesn't it just say, I went to someone's house because I needed bread? Notice the detail. I want you to... So he's, Jesus is telling a story. This friend went to his friend's house at midnight and asked for how many? Three loaves of bread. So he doesn't just knock on the door and say, hey, I'm hungry. Do you have food? He knocks on the door and says, I need three loaves of what? Bread. Not just any specific. I need a specific thing. Now... Continue reading verse 6. A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. So not only does he say what he needs, so I need three loaves, and I'm going to give you the reason. I need this because a friend just came in out of town unexpectedly, and my cupboards are bare, so I want to feed this friend. I mean, hospitality was a given, especially in that Eastern culture. I am responsible to care for this friend. He's come in. I have nothing to eat, so I need three loaves of bread. Verse 7 continues, and suppose he calls out from his bedroom. So now we're the guy that's already shut down for the night. Don't bother me. The door's locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. Now you got a picture. This isn't houses like we expect. I mean, these, everyone's kind of sleeping in the same room. These are like one and two room uh, places. I mean, this is, this is, so this guy's disturbing the entire, don't bother us. We're, we're shut down for the night. I can't help you. Verse 8 continues, but I tell you this though he won't do it for friendship's sake, If you keep knocking long enough. So picture this guy. I mean, he's there. I mean, come on. I know you're there. And the guy up in the bedroom's going, no, go away. We're done for the night. And the guy's out there, no, I need three loaves of bread. Very specific prayer. So he keeps knocking. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your, I love the way the New Living just states this, because of your what? shameless. (laughs) Like, there's nothing beneath me. I need bread. I know you can provide the need. I'm going to be here. I'm going to beat this door down until you open it and give me what I need. I'm going to keep knocking. So this prayer, give us today the food that we need, I believe is an invitation to go to God in a very specific manner. Go to him and tell him, what do you need today for life? James chapter uh, 4, the second half of verse 2, says it this way. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Some of you, you know, you just pray, God, I need food. Well, what kind of food do you need? Well, I need three loaves of bread. Oh, How? Oh, that's So God, you don't have what you don't want because you don't ask God for it. And go with shameless persistence. I, um, I've heard it said this way. God takes our requests as seriously as we take them ourselves. The great hymn writer, and I don't know if he's great. I, I found him. He, he appears great. He looks cool. i got a cool picture of him to show you. Uh, he was a pastor and a hymn writer back in the 1800s. He said it this way. I found a great quote uh, from him. It says, our prayers must mean something to us if they're to mean anything to God. With shameless persistence, we beat the door of heaven down and we say, I need, and tell him what you need. What do you need? Let's get specific. I need three loaves of bread. So the invitation this morning, here's the heart we're really going to talk about. The invitation with prayer this morning is to be specific and persistent with your desires. Go to God and tell him, what do you need? Now, here's where this entered my life last year in March. March into April, every year I try to do uh, what's, what I call a spiritual retreat. I shut everything down. I turn everything off. I just go away and try and get away. I try to do a whole week with, with four kids at home. It's not always easy to do and can make it a week. Sometimes it's just a few days. Last year I got a huge, I got, almost got a full week down in the beaches of Delaware. And I go away and I simply ask the question, how is it with your soul, Adam? Just listen to God. How is it with your soul? So last year I stepped into the Lord's Prayer some am where this series came from. I stepped in and said, God, how is it with my prayer life? I was sitting out on the beach um, one morning, and I was praying and re- re- talking through a couple of frustrations. Now, here's what was really happening inside of me. I am going to be 40 uh, next month. Now, some of you go, well, that's you're just getting started, right? I mean, I... But for whatever reason, it scares me. I don't know why. I have this anxiety inside of me. I don't know. I feel like I have all these dreams. So I started out in my early 20s, late teens, really kind of understanding who Jesus was. I had all these, this, this vision in his heart to serve him. And I, I heard God call me to something very specific. I then went to school for it. And I said, God, and I, and I chased after something. And here I am. I'm beginning to realize, is what I had in my heart happening? Did you ever get to that place in life? I had dreams and vision, and I'm not sure. I'm looking around like I'm running out of days, and I'm not sure it's happening. On top of that, I will be at Bethany now at the end of this month, seven years. So last year was six years I was here. And and again, it's that same journey. I'm like, okay, when I stepped into Bethany, I had vision and heart and passion and understood where we are going. I'm sitting there going, are we accomplishing it? I was in the midst of tension and turmoil, which you guys heard about from the stage this past fall with some elders. And I'm thinking, man, I was wrestling and struggling internally. And I'm sitting on the beach and I'm praying a prayer that a few of our elders are praying. Here was the prayer God, do something so big at Bethany that we can't mistake it. It's from you. And suddenly, as I'm sitting there, I realized, Adam, that's a poor prayer. That's not asking for my needs. What is that? What do I want God to do? What is it that I really want God to do? It's such a general, vague prayer. And I began to realize it's not specific. Oh, I was persistent with it, but it wasn't very specific. And I realized this is how I have a tendency to pray. And I wonder how many of you might be, as I've I've come back from my treatment and to talk to a number of people, I realize this is kind of a general battle I find that many of us do. We pray these general, vague prayers See, when we get specific, what we're really doing, when I name something specific, what I'm really doing is saying, God, I invite you into the details of my life. Uh, God, I'm not just inviting you into the big picture stuff. I'm inviting you into the little details of everyday life. I want you to be engaged. I'm going to trust you for the details. Often when we're praying general, what we're really doing is we're seeking God's blessing on the control of our lives. God, I'm going to go about being a pastor. God, I'm going to go about doing these things, and would you bless it generally? God, I'm going to go about being a husband. I'm going to go about being a father. I'm going to go about doing, and, and would you just bless it generally? God, I'm going to take care of the details, and I want you to just make sure we all get to the right place. And as I sat there in the beach, I ran, oh, my goodness. You know what, God? I need you to step in and manage in the details, not just the general stuff. Here's how I think as I've, as I've processed this further, as I've talked with others, here's some of the general prayers I think we have a tendency to pray. God, give me a good marriage. How many of you ever prayed that? God, give me a good marriage. Man, I need a good marriage. God, I maybe even get a little more specific. God, I need, my husband to re- I need my husband to love me. I need my wife to respect me. Even that, what does that look like? What is Respect. You know, I think the invitation, give us today our daily bread. What do you need for life? If you don't get it, you're going to be miserable tomorrow. You're going to feel like, why even go I mean, it may get to the point, why even go on? Because I don't have what I really need to be happy and to enjoy life. What is it specifically? So in marriage, it might be, you know what? I need him, God. I'm making a specific request for him to talk to me before he makes big purchases. I'm so tired of hearing after the fact. That he bought this item. Or do you know what, God? I need more f- intimacy from my wife. I need it more than one time a month. God, I'm going to ask specifically for once a week. God, you know what I need? <laughs> I need flowers from my husband. He used to give me gifts and suddenly it's going away and I just don't feel loved anymore. So God, I need flowers. God, would you lay that on his heart? God, you know what? I'm going to go talk to my husband tonight. Give us today what we need. God, I'm going to go talk to my husband tonight. There's this thing that's happening. I can see that he needs to address it. God, would you give me the wisdom saying, God, more than anything, I'm just going to specifically ask that he does nothing more than simply hear me tonight. But many of us don't pray that specific, do we? Some of us do. But many of us just pray, bless my marriage. Or we pray, keep my family safe. Or help my kids to be, help my kids to turn out well. Well, how about stepping in and say, no, God, do you know what I need? Right now, I'm wrestling with a, with teenage children. I'm not sure what do we do with a smartphone? Do we get a smartphone? Do we not get a smartphone? How do we, how do we handle this thing? You know what, God, I really desire, God, my request, give us today our daily bread. God, what I need is I really want to see my kids doing a daily quiet time. You know what, God, my one son, he has a test coming up today and I know he's been struggling so bad. And God, I just ask that you reward his hard work with an A today. How many of us pray this specifically? God, what I really need, what I really need today is Jimmy at school. Oh, man, God, Jimmy is struggling so bad with being bullied. Today when he's sitting at lunch and that kid comes comes and sits across from him, it often does, and begins to just make trouble. God, would he be able to have the courage to look across the table and say, stop it? Or maybe we pray general, we pray for peace. God, give me peace. I need peace. Maybe the specific prayer request is, God, you know what? Would my dad stop yelling at me? Just today, would he not yell at me? Man, I, I'm not hitting the month-end numbers. God, I know it. We're, just a few, well, we're a week away from month's end, and I got this meeting, come up with my boss, and God, would you help the boss to find favor in me? I need this job. God, you know what? I'm going to go confront a friend, and I just don't have peace about this. And God, would you specifically give me the words to speak? And God, maybe, God, would you even, would you even make it very clear to me that this is the time to confront? But how many of us pray specific? I think the invitation that Jesus meek is step in and pray specific. I think the reason we struggle with this is because, as I talked two weeks ago, we have this illusion of control in our lives. I'm God, I'm good with the details. You just bless the bigger picture stuff. And I think the invitation is, hey, come on in and pray specific. But I think there's another reason why we struggle to pray specific. Maybe we've done it for a while, but then it kind of dries up because I think by praying generally, it protects our heart. Does it not? Because if I pray something specific, God, bring my daughter home to this family. God, bring them home. A specific prayer, then what happens when they don't come home? We're disappointed, we grieve, we hurt. Is God really for me? We begin to ask all these deeper questions. So to protect our hearts, we just kind of pray generally. So I think the real reality of this is be specific and persistent with your desires. Now, here's the beauty. You may receive nothing that you ask for, but everything that you hope for. This is the invitation. This is what gets us to the answer of those first two questions. God says, hey, I am your father. Seek my will, seek my kingdom, and be specific with your needs. What are your needs today? What do you need for life? Now, you may get none of it, but what you're ultimately going to find is you're going to get everything that you hoped for. Here's where this works. Here's where this really comes in. James chapter 4. Remember we looked at verse 2. Here's verse 3. So you don't have because you don't ask. And even when you ask... Okay, so you're going to go with your specific needs. God, I need this for my wife. God, I need this for my husband. Name it. What is it specifically? You don't get it because your motives, your desires, the things that you want with it, the reason you want it, because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Here's what I've learned. Here's the beauty of praying specific. There isn't a one of you in this room, myself included, whose hearts are not divided. There isn't a one of you in this room who has a 100% pure, focused, true north heart. Not one of you. I don't care how much you love Jesus and how passionately you've been with him for how many years you've been. Our hearts have this incredible propensity, as one of the great theologians said, to create idols. We have these little idol factories inside of us. In other words, Romans chapter 1 says it this way. God steps in and says, you're going to have life in me. It's going to be in me. And we say, yeah, I know that. We come to church and we sing our songs and we pray our prayers and we love God. And we, yes, God, I'm, I'm for you. But then we're living life. Where they're, okay, yeah, I'm really, man, my wife, my husband, that's where life is, my kids. And all this stuff over here, my job, my computer, my car, my house, my, all this stuff, my status, my, all this stuff over here is where we begin to focus and put all of our time and energy And God is saying, that's all good stuff. It's all gifts that I have given you. But you're only going to have life in me. And God says, I'm not going to give you anything that's going to take your heart from me. If you want something because you think you're going to have life by having it and you're missing me, I can't give it to you because it's going to take you further from me. So he says, pray specific. And I think in these specific prayers, when I am praying specific and I'm coming before him persistently with that specific prayer, it gives opportunity to open my heart up to where it might be divided. Tim Keller, uh, great pastor. I have great respect for Tim Keller in New York City. Now, here's how he says it. Talking of this divided heart and how it comes into prayer. Unless we recognize this heart disorder and realize how much it distorts our lives, our prayers will be part of the problem, not an agent of healing. My studies came across this great poem. It's uh, called A Palm from an Unknown Soldier. Listen how he prays this. Captures this same reality. I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was given weakness that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. My prayer was answered. I was greatly blessed. So I think the invitation is come to me, God says. Come to me with your specific and persistent request. Come to me. Make Make them known. What is it? What is it that you want? What is it that you need? Name it. Name what do you need to have life today? What do you need? Have you ever really pushed into it? What do you, I mean, maybe there's a nag in your heart. What is it? That you can name, that you can look at God in heaven and say, God, I need this to have life. Don't shy back. Don't pull back. Name it and consistently name it. And then push in and wrestle. Talk about it. See, here's, here's how it begins to answer our question. What do we do with unanswered prayers? Here's what I believe with all my heart about prayer. Prayer is not so much about the answer but the relationship. So many of us, when we think prayer, what we really focus on is where it's going to get us, what it's going to get us. I think prayer in Scripture isn't so much about what it's going to get us as much as it is who it gets us, who we walk with, who it engages I get to walk with my heavenly father. I get to bring my heart to him. I get to open myself up before him. I get to know him. But so many of us, we don't focus on prayer that way. We get lost. We get so hurt. God, what do I do with these unanswered prayers? Well, do you have more of God? Well, I do. I've been more intimately crying out to him because of this hardship than I ever have. Well, I think it's a win. But I don't have. Well, do you need that? Maybe you don't need that for life. This is what begins to do for us. And we pray specific and we pray persistent and we don't get lost on the answers. We get lost at doing the internal work of the heart. What is it that we need for life? This is what begins to happen when we pray this way. We align our hearts with God. We push deeper into, we push into deeper questions. We ultimately get more of God. The Apostle Paul I think most of you would agree he was a prayer warrior. He's quite, quite the spiritual leader. Um, he wrote a chunk of our New Testament, planted much of the early church that we still benefit of today. Here's how he said it. He said, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. It, if you go back to the other verses, he had a, what was called a thorn in the flesh. Now, theologians have pondered for years, what was this? I believe it was his eyesight. Others believe, all, there's all kinds. But he had some physical disability that slowed him down In his, in his preaching, in his teaching, in his planning churches. And he says three times. Now, I think he probably prayed more than that. But I believe what, what in many scholars, what was they look at this passage, three times. So he's probably referring to three specific anointings. Maybe he called the apostles together. Maybe it's three specific times where he brought the church. So this is three very intense, specific times. I begged. I mean, this isn't just a simple. Well, God, would you tell This is Paul saying, God, I believe this. I need this to further your message. God, I beg you to take this away. Each time, all three times, each time, here's what God said. My grace is all you need. When we pray specific and we pray persistent, this is what we oftentimes get to hear. What we really get to hear is God say, Adam, is that really what you need? You think you need that. And I get it. It hurts right now. But I'll tell you what you need is my grace. My power works best in weakness. I mean, think about that what? Paul said, hey, listen, my power, God's power, his grace works best in us when we're weak. Not when we're strong, not when we're able-bodied, not when we're full of power and energy. It says when you are weak. So now I am glad to boast. So Paul steps, Paul gets to the point. Did Paul have his prayer answered? No. But look at what he moves to. I uh, have three times he praises. So now I am glad to boast. I'm to the point where I'm boasting about my weakness. So whatever this thorn in the flesh was, it's even called in the verse where it's called a messenger of Satan. It's like, what is this thing? Three times I asked for it to go away. Now I'm going to boast that I have it. Yeah, look at me. I am weak. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure. I mean, this is like, what? I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecution, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, it's then that I'm strong. So Paul came to God with a very specific request. God, take this affirmity. Take this physical affliction away from my body. Get rid of it. Three times. What do you think of it as the Apostle Paul who could heal other people? The Apostle Paul who was so powerful, it says in the book of Acts, that when people walked through his shadow, they found healing of their infirmities. Here's the Apostle Paul pleading with the Creator take this away from me three times. Nah, sorry, I can't. But in the process, Paul gets to know his Creator. I think Philippians chapter 3, here's Paul's heart. I think this is why Paul gets this. Philippians chapter 3 gives you his, Paul's desire more than anything else in life. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Paul says, more than anything else in life, I want to know Jesus. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right... With himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. He comes back around to this. More than anything else, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. How do I experience resurrection? Can you experience resurrection without dying? Death is necessary. Paul says, I want to know you more than anything else, and that is the invitation in prayer. Come to me. Your heavenly Father is saying, come to me. I am good. I am for you. Come to me. What do you need? It's okay to bring it to him. It's okay to cry out, God, take this from me. God, give me this. God, take, th- God, I need, I have to have. God, if I don't get, I'm not going to make it. God, says, come to me. And in the process, you may not get that thing that you think you need for life, but you're going to get life because you're going to have him and have him to the full. And you're going to begin to process and build a relationship with him. And so there's that question of what do I do with unanswered prayers? Well, my, th- my answer is, well, it's really not about the answer. It's about the relationship. Do you have more of him? Well, then I think it's been a success. Now, the first question, though, does prayer really change anything? <laughs> yes and no. He said, "Oh, Adam, God, give me a clear answer. I really don't know. What I do know is prayer seems to alter history, yet at the same time, it works with the sovereignty and complete control of God. How does that work? Uh, I don't know. One of my favorite obscure passages on this, if you go read it this week, Daniel chapter 10, verse uh, uh, 12 to 14. Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was a young man when, when he was carted off in war and he was taken to another country and he lived there and he hungered to be back home in Jerusalem. He hungered to be back home. But he knew, and you read through chapter 9, he knew that he's off in a foreign land, and God destroyed Jerusalem because of their sin. They were warned repeatedly, you must turn to me to find life. You must turn to me to find life. You must turn to me to find life, or Babylon's going to come and destroy. And so Daniel knew that he he is where he is because of the sin of the nation and the sin of the people. But he pleads with God. God, he says in Daniel chapter 9, God, I know that, but in your merciful hand, uh, you said 70 years we've got to be here. But God, please, if it be here, please alleviate. Can Can in your mercy you do something for us? Chapter 10, in one of those such prayers, he's pleading, he's pleading, he's crying out, and it says in chapter 10 that this man shows up. I believe it's Jesus, and again, you can debate that and argue that, but it's not an angel. Daniel calls him Lord. It appears to be some God-like form, but so I believe it's Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up, and here's what he says to him. He says, Daniel, I came to you 21 days ago when you started praying. Your prayer released me. But you know what? I got hung up with this prince of Persia. We we were in this big cosmic battle. And your prayer brought me to you. When you read it, you're like, wait a minute. Did Daniel's prayer help this Jesus character in the Old Testament defeat the what? How does that work? James is another one. He wrestled with James. Uh, James chapter 5, it says this. It talks to this guy named Elijah. Elijah lived in a time when there was this great famine in the land. And, and Elijah, it says, was a righteous man. It says, the righteous man, a righteous man who prays sees wonderful results, it says in James chapter 5. So Elijah prayed and fasted and pleaded with God, and it rained and it rained and it rained. Now, wait a minute. If Elijah didn't pray, what if it rained? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure of this. Talk to Elijah after that experience. Did he know God better, more fully, more completely? Did he trust Him more? I think so. I think prayer is again not so much. We sometimes we take our material needs to God and we walk away not with a material answer but a spiritual relationship. Now here's the beauty of this. Here's how I really answer this first question: Does prayer really change anything? Here's I want to come back to Luke chapter eleven. This is where we'll wrap up. I love this. Pick up back at verse 9. Remember, we had the story. The guy goes to his friend. Hey, hey, I need some food. I don't need food, I need three loaves of bread. And I need it because my friend came in town. Now, the story continues, verse 9. So Jesus is telling the story. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Verse 11, he's going to shift and tell this to say, your fathers, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, now Paul, don't read it any further, how much more will your heavenly father, you would think it's going to say, give good gifts to you. So can you just follow the progression. So he, he says, be persistent, be specific, come to me, knock, and I will show you the answer. And then he draws this parallel, fathers we are sinful. I'm a sinful, that's my kids. My kids know I'm sinful, but I love to bless my kids with things. What a joy it is. So if you sinful fathers have a joy doing a giving good gifts, how much more you think it's going to read, does your heavenly father enjoy giving you good gifts? But that's not what it says. Look what it says. Verse 13, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you who? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, this is, we just open up a whole new message, and I'm sure you don't have another 40 minutes, so I'm not going to dive into, now wait a minute, Adam, how does this, here's what I really want you to see in this. Who is the Holy Spirit? When you go to John 14 through 16, The Holy Spirit is promised to come to permanently indwell us. And Jesus says, I am going to go to my Father. When I go to my Father, I'm going to send him to be your counselor and your comforter, your teacher. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the physical presence of God who has promised to be with you always. So when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. So I believe the Holy Spirit is mentioned as the supreme object of desire for all true disciples because what I get what I get from God is His presence. Let's think about this: The Creator, God of the universe, is living in me. Do we fathom that? If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Creator, Almighty, all-powerful, God, living inside of you. His presence is always with you. I can't think of a better gift. And here's what begins to happen. When he's living with us, we begin to think with his mind. We begin to feel with his heart. We begin to see with his eyes. And suddenly when we ask the question, does prayer matter? Well, you know what? We begin to get answers to that because we're now seeing things from a spiritual perspective. We're seeing through his lenses and not just our physical earthly lenses. And I think of a verse like in Hebrews where there's these great heroes of the faith, these phenomenal heroes of the faith. And it says they didn't get what they were promised. They pleaded with God and they didn't get it when they died. They went to their grave not receiving. But man, did they ever praise God because they could see something far bigger was at stake. They had a generational faith. They knew it was about their grandkids and their great grandkids. And they knew it was about something that God was doing across time, not just in their specific life. And I think when we pray and we ask, well, God, does it really matter? Does this really change anything? I think the answer is Sure, because we begin to see something bigger than our lives. We begin to see something bigger than my kids and my wife and my home and my job. We begin to see that God's up to something far bigger and far broader than my little world here and now. And we have the Holy Spirit in us to give us spiritual eyes to think with the mind of God, feel with his heart and see with his eyes. So again, I come back to, I cannot just want to wrap with this. Be specific and persistent with your prayers. You may receive nothing that you ask for, but everything that you hope for. So this week, what do you need? What do you need? Get out of bed tomorrow. Just talk to your father. What is it that you need? Say, God, I need. Wrestle with the creator, the all-powerful God, knowing that he's safe and he's good. A close of two weeks ago, I shared about how my journey with my wife's stroke uh, impacted my prayer life. I had another one this week. I, I want to stop having these. To be honest with you, um, they're they're powerful. <laughs> they they uh, deepen my walk with God. But I'm ready for them to stop. Uh, this week, I got a phone call from my sister, my little sister, nine years younger than me, who beat cancer uh, this past year. Has been roughly six months without, in remission. And I get a phone call this week. It says, Adam, we got the test back and it has returned. My heart sank. My wife and I got some child care. We headed over to Hershey where they live just to be with her. And we spent time with her. And, man, she's got a tough road ahead of her. And what she's, it's just a tough road. And we finished up. I put my hand on her knee and just touched her and said, can I pray for you? She said, yeah. Here's what I prayed. I want to challenge you in this very same way. You know what I did not pray? I'm passionate about this. I didn't pray, God. Heal her if it be your will. I didn't give God a door out. I didn't give God a side door. God, heal her if it be your will, God. I mean, really, God, I, no, I passionately put my hand in my sister's leg and said, God, heal my sister. I need my sister. Her husband needs his wife. Those little children in that home need their mom. God, heal my sister. I didn't say, God, if it be your will. Do you know why I didn't say that? It's already a given in the Lord's prayer. I've already wrestled with that in my heart. People will say to me, well, Adam, Jesus prayed that way. He did. But I want you to pay attention to something. When Jesus prayed, God, take this from me. And then he said, but Father, your will be done, not mine. I want you to pay attention to his sweat. His sweat was like blood. He was so passionately and deeply engaged in that prayer. He wanted to be delivered. He ached to be delivered of any other way possible. And I think what Jesus accomplished in one prayer, it takes us, because he was Jesus Christ, it takes us multiple days, weeks, and even years. I think the starting point of prayer is to simply come before God and say, God, I need my sister. Now, in time, I may get another answer. And in time, I may need to submit myself to what his will truly might be, God forbid, in time, but I don't start there. And I invite you not to start there either. Come before your heavenly father, your creator in heaven, and simply look at him in the eyes and say, this is what I need. Today to live, God, I need this. And step in with him. He is safe and he is good. He may give you another answer, but I promise in that answer, you're going to have everything that you hoped for. You're going to have him and him to the full. But step in. The prayer is our father in heaven, give us today Our daily bread. Give us today those three loaves. Maybe I only need one, but God, give me my needs. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you for the invitation of prayer more than anything. You're a good God. You're for us. God, you know that when we have life in you, we have it to the full. And God, the invitation is come to me and find life and life to the full. God, we, sometimes I just say, I'm afraid to be specific with you. I'm kind of guarded with that or or I just want to be in control. So God, I want you to generally bless, but I'll take care of the details. God, would you push in on our hearts this week and would we have a relationship with you where we're coming to you and saying, God, this is what I need. And then step into the messy journey that that is. And in that journey, we find you. So, God, that's the gift I, I know you want to give us is your presence. So, God, I ask that for every person in this room that's sitting here. God, I pray that they sense your presence. God, there are those in this room that don't because you're not, they're not your child. And, God, I pray right now that they would simply confess their sin, repent, and turn to Jesus Christ. And in that, they become your child and they gain your presence and they begin to see with your eyes and feel with your heart and think with your mind. So, I pray right now for those in this room that are not your children, God, thank you for them. I love them. You love them. God, would they come to you, your son, Jesus Christ, and find life? God, for those of us in this room, God, I pray for those who have been persistently and specifically praying, and they're getting a big fat no back from you. And, God, it hurts, and it's scary, and they're wrestling. God, would you you know that you're there holding them? You're whispering in their ear, you don't need it for life. Find your life in me. And God, for those of us who are just afraid to step in this direction, God, give us the boldness and the courage to come before you and believe what we're praying. God, I need this. May we be tenacious and shameless in our persistence. I love that. Shameless in our persistence, asking you for what it is that we need for life. God, we love you. Thank you so much for Jesus, and thank you for inviting us in on this messy journey of grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.